ethos. I don't wait for permission to create. I don't, I don't wait for someone to say. You'd be waiting hey, a long time. Right? Yeah, oh, absolutely. <laughs> and I, I know people do that. I don't. So when I wanted to have a comedy show, I had a comedy show. If I want to write a play and do a play, I write a play. I don't wait for a producer to come and say, I figure it out how to get it on there because that's, the, that's what I want to create. I just really love doing it. Welcome to the Creative Coach Cast. I'm Paul Goldsmith, an entrepreneur and creative coach on the show committed to helping you transform your creative ideas into a reality. Sherry Lynn is a dutiful daughter, silly sister, amazing aunt, love the alliterations, radio <laughs> host, comedian, writer, playwright, the list goes on. Sherry, that's why I invited you here. You're one of the most prolific and creative people I know. So tell us your secret. What's going on? I don't know that I have a secret, but thank you. I don't know. I like to make stuff. I always tell people my grandmother made stuff, made artistic things. And so that's what I grew up seeing and believing that I could do. A lot of people get really good at one thing, hopefully. You spread your art and your creativity across multiple different formats. I said radio host and you've done mm-hmm. stand-up comedy and written plays and all the mm-hmm. things. So why not keep it to one thing? What's the motivation there to keep expanding your different ways of expressing your creativity? When I was young, it was probably arrogance of thinking, I can do that. Oh, no, I can do that. No, I can do that. And then I always go back to my grandmother. People are probably tired of hearing that, but she really was that person. She could sit down at the piano and write a song. She could teach a choir. She could teach soloists. She could write a play. She could paint a mural or a Bible story. She could bake a pie. No, I can't do that. But she was just... (laughs) Found your limitation. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Is there an area where maybe you don't have a natural gift that you do still enjoy? Like you mentioned, you're not a cook, but Mm -mm. is there an area that you're not particularly gifted that you just enjoy doing it for the fun of it? Gosh, I would probably, this is not me trying to sound humble, but I don't know that I I, I think I can write fairly decently. I think I can talk fairly decently, but I don't know that I have any talent that hasn't really been something that it's about working hard and trying to hone. Like for radio, I, I enjoy radio. Radio was not the first thing that I wanted to do. When I went to college, I wanted film and TV, but radio seemed a little easier to get into. And I enjoyed it on campus and I kind of took that trek. I don't know how good or not I am in it, but I do enjoy doing it. And I think I enjoy it mostly because of Brand Hansen and working with him. That has made this a very enjoyable journey. Yeah. So you're the producer and co-host of the Brand Hansen Show. And if anybody wants to check out the podcast of The Daily Show, it's the Brant and Sherry Oddcast. Everybody and their brother these days has a podcast, Mm -hmm. obviously, (laughs) present company included. Um, But that's one thing to maybe do something once a week. You do a daily four-hour radio show, Mm -hmm. and it's a grind. You fill so much content every day. How do you do that? How do you find fresh things to talk about every single day? We always say 20 things because we have 20 breaks. So you need 20 entertaining, encouraging things a day. And that is a lot. These need to be 20 fresh things, right? You know, Brant really brings that content. My job is to react real time to it and be able to discuss it with him in real time, not knowing what's coming from break to break to break. I know there are people who think that it's scripted. It is not. My uh, improv skills, such that they are, are, are in play there. So I think that's more of the heavy lifting of being in the moment 
with him for every break so that I'm on the same page with him because I got to get on it in two seconds because the break's about to be over in 30 seconds. (laughs) So that's more the heavy lifting. And then after, it's the creating the podcast. And I I take great strides and joy doing that in a very creative way from naming the episodes to how they're arranged. Probably a little more neurotic about that than I need to be. The art of naming, that's serious business right there. That is major to me. And and Brent's probably tired of me talking about it because as we're creating in the moment, the actual show, I am thinking that's it. Because I like the name of the podcast to be a little thing that you have to find out why in the world did they name it that? Where in the world on this podcast can I find that line? Just to give you a taste of this, just looking at most recent episodes, I don't recommend the Epic of Gilgamesh. Now, who's going looking for that? This is a personal favorite. Whoever does the clown face trademark thing. (laughs) That is so unique. Random. There are the topics on the podcast, right? And that's the general thing that we talked about in each break. And then within the topic, within the break, there's always something that's like, that is a funny line that makes no sense unless you listen to the podcast. And that's what I want. I want someone to be like, Gilgamesh, what in the world? Why? And listen. You've mentioned listening in the moment so you can have an honest reaction and and also looking for the gold in your breaks to Mm -hmm. really highlight those with your titles. And that's a skill set that I don't think many of us exercise in general conversations. I think the tendency is to be waiting to respond, right? Instead Mm -hmm. of being in the moment. So how do you focus on that? How do you get in the headspace so that you tune everything else out and you're really focused there in the moment? It's easier some days than others because... I am tasked with that, but I'm also tasked with the show, right? And so I've had to learn and continue to learn. So it's it's by no means perfected because my mind would also be thinking, like I'm looking in my mind, I see the clock of the show and I'm thinking, ah, that should probably go before this. This should probably go after that. Then we'll move that over there. Like I think in those terms, but I've had to literally stop myself from considering how to produce the show and just stay in the moment as the person who he's engaged in dialogue with. And then when the break is over, I can go ahead and think about that. That's been a difficult journey and it continues because like you said, you have to shut everything out. I need to be in the moment responding to what he's saying. Even if I don't know why in the world he said what he said and what in the world he's saying, that has to be a legitimate response because it usually is in the response of the audience is probably feeling the same way I'm feeling and I don't want to miss the moment. And you've been doing this for what 20 plus years. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering, there's a lot of crazy things that happen on the air. What's one thing that comes to mind, one of your more memorable on-air moments? You as a, um, as a person who coaches on-air fundraisers probably won't appreciate this moment, but it really is a moment that was so deeply funny to me. When you're doing fundraisers in radio specifically, it's challenging. Asking people <laughs> for money isn't easy. No, it is not. And articulating it and articulating it differently than you did three minutes and 13 seconds ago and knowing that you have to do it again three minutes and 23 seconds after that. Yeah, it's a challenge. And so the reason why one of the many reasons why I love Brant is that he's able to kind of release that valve with humor. And we were in the studio. One of the things we were doing, we're helping to get filters for country to help their water, purify their water. And there were 800 filters left. And the coach told us, let's not say that because it's too many numbers. Right before the song was over, he lowered the screen where he could really see my face because we were on the other side of the console. We're just waiting to go on the air. (laughs) The song is over. 
he says he doesn't even he doesn't do the positioning like say who we are doesn't say what the network or the station is he just says 800 filters it was (laughs) you had one job (laughs) the guy told him don't say it he said okay but just to release some of that tension in the room that's one of my favorite moments that is fantastic (laughs) when you totally have to call an audible in that moment and it it makes it real and that's hilarious so (laughs) I'm curious, you guys have a lot of fun and it's fun to listen to your radio show. It's it's fun to listen to your podcast. You make it sound easy. I know it's not. Is it ever hard? Because you sound like you're just having a a party every day on the radio. Sometimes I say that to myself. This is my job. I'm grateful. I'm grateful every day. And I know what it is to be able to work with someone that I respect and honor and know that they respect and honor me. I think that's it. I, I think that we, we have a mutual respect. It is more difficult. For instance, my mother has been in the hospital off and on for the last couple of weeks. And so you're carrying kind of all this baggage of what you're going through personally. And when the mic goes on, you have to kind of shift gears. You know, that could be difficult. Overall, it is literally, I mean it, it is as fun as it sounds. We really, really do enjoy doing what we're doing. Man, that's incredible. And then to think, Okay, so why write plays and do the other things that you're doing? You're having a ball with your day job, the radio show, but then you continue to do improv and stand-up comedy and uh, write plays. What is the motivation for that? I like making things. That's the, That really is it. I've done that my whole career. So even when I was at a little AM station in Pittsburgh, I had the morning show and then I would have a comedy show, usually quarterly. The first time I did stand-up comedy, the very first time, Paul, that I did it, I went to Kings of Comedy. I remember it was at the Civic Arena in Pittsburgh and remembered how filled that arena was to see these guys up on stage and remember sitting there thinking, I could do that. And so I decided, (laughs) (laughs) why? They're not doing anything I can't do. Uh And so I decided to have a comedy show and I had one. And because I had a radio show in the city, I could get people to come out. It was fantastic. Of course, I killed because all these people already know me from the radio and they're invested in enjoying themselves, right? It wasn't until I got invited to a place where no one knew me that I realized, oh, you don't know what you're doing up here on this stage (laughs) because I'm horribly, horribly bombed. And then it became a challenge on can I really be good at this? And I just enjoy making things. I really do. It's, so what I, did it take in you to get up there after you bombed so uh-huh. horribly? Yeah, oh, yeah. Do it again. Because I really thought I could do it. I really did. And so I thought that was terrible. Okay, so you have to write. You don't get to get up here and just be goofy. You could say whatever's off the top of your head. You have to write it and then you have to edit it and then you have to say it and then you have to edit it again. Like this is a process. This is actually something you have to do. And once I realized that, then I was like, okay, I could do that. And so I did and continue to. Again, like I said, I really do enjoy making things, Paul. There there are people throughout my career from time to time have suggested perhaps it's for attention. And maybe it is. Everybody does things for attention. Doesn't matter what job you have. But I really don't create for that. I create because I enjoy creating. And I don't wait for permission to create. I don't don't wait for someone to say. You'd be waiting a long time. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And I, I know people do that. I don't. So when I wanted to have a comedy show, I had a comedy show. If I 
want to write a play and do a play, I write a play. I don't wait for a producer to come and say, I figure it out how to get it on there because that's the, that's what I want to create. I just really love doing it. There's the talk of the resistance in the war of art mm-hmm. and when that critical inner voice happens. So you're trying something new and it's just not going the way you had hoped it would go. You can't find all the right parts and it's mm-hmm. not coming together. What do you do to power through that resistance so that you're able to ship and get your creative done? I set a deadline before that time happens. Okay. So that's coming, right? That time that you said is coming. I make sure I say this, whatever is going to be done on September 20th. I make sure I put all kinds of promotions out and all kinds, because then I know Somebody's expecting something on September 20th. (laughs) You've got to get to September 20th, like, right? So when I wrote the book, I promoted that there would be a sample of the book or the first copies of the book available at a women's conference. That was my date. Everybody was expecting that. So now you have to get that done because there's your date that that's being expected. So deadlines help me. Without it, I probably would meander. I don't know that I would give up, but it sure would take a long time for me to create things. Deadlines and going public with those deadlines. Yes, yes. I mean, as public as possible. The one musical I wrote that was on race, I signed up with a producer to do that before I wrote it. So he said, will you write a play? Yeah, sure. Can you do it on September? Absolutely. And I was promoting that play, Paul, before I even wrote two words to the script. And so I knew everybody's going to be at the Bayam Theater in Pittsburgh, Sherry, on September 25th. (laughs) Either the stage is going to be empty or you're going to have some people up there saying some words. And that's what kind of drives me in the times where I feel like this is the worst thing anyone has ever written. Not just me, anyone in the world has ever written. Well, it in fact wasn't the worst thing. It was actually quite healing. You picked quite the controversial topic, race. Why did you feel compelled to write a play about race? I felt like the power of story is something that I believe deeply in so that any, I don't want to say anybody, but a lot of people get up and just have, you have your side, you have your points, you have your network, you have your silo of what you talk about. If I can take you out of that and put you in a story, you will quickly forget those things. If I write the story well enough, if it's funny enough, if the music is good enough, I can teach you something that I'm not going to be able to teach you outside of that story because you know everything already. We all, we all do. We all know everything already. The story The music and the comedy and all of that gives me the opportunity to deactivate all of the other noise. And you just get to live in that story shoulder to shoulder with people from different races and inside a theater. It at least plants a seed of maybe, maybe I have something to learn. So that's why I did it and grateful that it worked. What was the result? Were people swayed by that play? Yeah, I did. I I get, I mean, look, theater... One of the things that I love about theater and stand-up comedy is your feedback is immediate, right? So it's not, (laughs) right now you find out if we like that or if we don't. Honestly, quite frankly, I don't know if I've ever said this publicly, but actually ended up having a break with the producer and the promoter on this point, which was I wanted the audience to be mixed. I did not want to be in a theater talking to 1,500 Black people about race, and I didn't want to be in a theater talking to 1,500 white people about race. I wanted everybody in that theater together because I wanted to, through comedy and music, confront everyone together. And so I could feel that in the room. Like I could feel people 
afraid to laugh, but you see your black brother and sister laughing. So maybe it is okay if I'm laughing or you see your white brother and sister saying, oh, that's true. And so, yes, in the moment I got feedback afterwards, I did. But the feedback for a stage performer, in my personal opinion, is what what are you getting right now in this moment? That's going to tell you if you're succeeding or not. You're breaking pretty much every rule. Yeah. <laughs> out there. It's like, okay, you know, the riches are in the niches. Pick one format. And you're like, no, I'm going to do 17 things. And I can understand the producer standpoint there as far as, oh, yes. You got to know your target demo. Pick yes. a target, right? Yes. That's kind of marketing 101. And Absolutely. Like, no, we're, we're going to open this up because of the topic in general. It's helpful to see the other perspective in real time. That and the fact that for me personally, the promoter, and this is this is of no fault to him. I, I thank him for all that he did. But he was, you know, there, there's a black gospel theater genre, right? That's where we get Tyler Perry. And it can be successful. And so that's what you're going after. I get that. But when we are talking about believers in Jesus, disciples of Jesus, right? There is no race there, right? There is no, like, uh, right now, the way it is kind of set up is, you know, certain music is for black Christians and certain music are for white Christians. We don't say that, but I mean, you just look at it and it is. I'm not implying intent there. All I'm saying is if I said the target were believers, then that to me, that net can be very wide. And to him, that net was like, no, just this side. And I respect that. But that's not what I wanted. You were going for a deeper common ground there. <laughs> that just wasn't skin deep, but actually people saying what they believe and the things that unite us bigger than the things that divide us. Man, I yes. love that. So what's your advice to people that you know maybe don't have the opportunity to write their own musical? <laughs> we all like to share opinions online and try to persuade others, which if you haven't figured out by now that Facebook isn't doing it. And truly, you talk about mixing the crowd. Mm -hmm. We're all just talking to ourselves, right? Yes, it, it, that is right. It filtered out any dissenting voices. It's that just people right. that you agree with at this point. Any advice to the rest of us that don't have a stage that want to offer reconciliation or we want to persuade others of our opinion and are looking for a way to do that? I think we all do have a stage and a sphere of influence. And I say, start there. People will ask me, a prominent person of color of, well, he said this or she said that. What do you say about that? And I always say to them, do you have a person of color in your own personal sphere of influence or a friend? Ask them because the person that you saw on whatever network is invested in something probably beyond <laughs> reconciliation. So talk to the people who are around you. What is the need in your community right now? I think when you start with everything around you, the people around you, you can't go wrong with that. The needle show itself very quickly. I think Facebook and Twitter and all of that actually stops us from looking because we feel like we put something out there and now I've done my part. Do you ever turn it off? How do you relax? <laughs> I started implementing a Sabbath day. And so Thursdays are the day that I, I attempt to not create or take in anything. So entertainment, things like that, that would make my mind work that way. I don't do that. Other than that, pretty much just always doing it, but I love it. It's a part of who I am. So it doesn't feel like work, which is a blessing. That is a blessing. And so if somebody's listening and they want to be more prolific and they've got these ideas, but don't know where to start, what's your advice? Do it and try to purge your intentions if you can. 
I was blessed to be able to start creating and doing things before there was social media and social media stars and YouTube stars and all that. And so I was never really caught up in how popular it was going to be or how many people were going to come see it or I was only doing it to create. And so the, the, the actual creating, the actual process of creating and having a finished product was the victory for me. Now, you know, it's, it's difficult. If you're creating to be seen in a way that brings some kind of fame or fortune to you, you know, your feelings are probably going to get hurt. But if you just want to create, then do it. Write the book, write the song, sing the song, make the demo tape, whatever it is, do the thing. And then the chips will fall however they fall. Commit but do to the it. process create. and don't get yeah. so tied up in the result. Absolutely. Create in the process. That, that's one of the reasons why I love theater so much. Theater is all process, Paul. All process. And I told someone the other day, it, it, it all teeters on disaster. Any <laughs> given moment, if one person drops the ball here, we are all going down with the ship, right? That's it, the fun part. Right? Yes. I love yeah. it. And And so... Fall in love with the process, fall in love with the work, get it done and be able to stand back. I have a friend who wants to do a podcast and I just talked to her yesterday and said, do a podcast, record one interview, get it done. You can tell her if Paul Goldsmith can do this, you can do it. (laughs) He did it. He's getting it done. We are getting it done. And thank you for helping us get it done today on the Creative Coachcast. We're out of time, but this has been very helpful. So thank you. If people want to find your work or contact you, they can go to IamSherryLynn.com. That's I-M-Sherry, S-H-E-R-R-I, Lynn, L-Y-N-N.com. And thank you so much for listening. If you have a suggestion for a guest or question for a future CoachCast, send me a text to 559-574-3210. Thank you for listening to the Creative Coachcast. I hope this has been beneficial. And if you like it, please review it and rate it. That way others can find it. And we'll talk to you next time.